Welcome to Canva Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media, change, and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Able, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers, clarify your message, and make an impact on the world. Today's episode is brought to you by the word boundaries. To be specific, personal boundaries, which Wikipedia defines as guidelines, rules, or limits that a person creates to identify reasonable, safe, and permissible ways for other people to behave towards them. I am over the moon to welcome Terry Cole to the show because she literally wrote the book on boundaries called Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free, which is available now from fine booksellers everywhere. Terry is a licensed psychotherapist, relationship and empowerment expert, founder of the Real Love Revolution, and my very first coach, to which I owe so much. So, Terry, just the most warm-hearted welcome to you. It is incredible. Oh my God, Barbara, I'm so excited. Full disclosure, I am a full-on recovering pleaser, so I cannot tell you how excited I am about Boundary Boss. This is beyond the beyond. So I love this from your bio. Terry has made it her mission to teach as many women as possible to establish and maintain effective boundaries with ease and create and sustain healthy, vibrant relationships. First of all, thank the goddess for you. (laughs) But two, I want to just right there, go there for so many of us. What does a healthy, vibrant relationship look and feel like? Some of us don't even know. Um, A healthy, vibrant relationship is one where there's mutuality, where the the power is relatively equitable, right? So you don't have one person endlessly dominating the other person, where there is an equitability in the um, emotional labor that is done within the relationship. That, you know, we, we all go through healthy relationships go through, of course, you wax and wane, right? You go through your periods of time where you can be very close and periods of time where not. So we're not talking about that. Relationships where the boundaries are disordered in a real way, either it could be a good relationship, but the way that people are managing their relationship is through passive aggressive uh, forms of communication. Instead of saying what you're mad about, slamming a door, rolling an eye, um, having the same fight, over and over because you're actually not talking about what the real problems are. Vibrant relationships really do require mutual respect. They require that you want what the other person wants for themselves. You know, so so it's like a me and a we. And, and this is again just according to Terry Cole, right? So like I'm not God, I'm just telling you my thoughts of being a psychotherapist for almost 25 years of what does it look like? It also looks like some grace. You know, we're, we're not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. You, can, you can choose to focus on all the crap that you think is wrong with your partner, or you can choose to appreciate what is right about them while you problem solve together. But it's very easy, especially in long-term relationships, and I know we both are in them. It's like, you got to choose. <laughs> or, you know, it, even if they're telling the friggin' story all wrong, just let them tell it right? Like you don't Mm. need to be like, you know, it wasn't the summer of 77. It was the summer of 78. Like we don't need to, you know, do things because it makes the other person happy. I can't tell you how much classical music live I've seen in my life. I do not like classical music. I mean, I don't hate it, but it makes Vic 
so happy, my husband. He loves it so much. He'll be like, oh my God, babe, do you remember in 2005 when we saw the thing at Carnegie Hall? No, I do not. But I'm like, yeah, it was so amazing, babe. I loved it. Now, other people would be like, well, why are you doing that? Here's the thing. Vic does so much in my life, in healthy relationships. You want to be a part of the solution for your person. I believe that it's work, work I am committed to doing, work that I love to do, but work that you have to do if you want to stay married for multiple decades or want to be in a long-term relationship. It's work that makes your life easier. Yes. And improves the quality of your life. That's fantastic. What prompted you to write the book? I mean, listen, what do they say, right? You, you teach what you most need to learn. So I had decades, well, not decades, but yeah, decades, I guess, of being a boundary disaster. Although I did start in therapy very young, I was, I am also a recovering people pleaser, right? Having the disease to please as a Harriet Breaker named it back in the day. And it created a lot of conflict in my young life. And so I got into therapy when I was in college still, stopped drinking my senior year of college and started really seeing like you you can't be um you can't please all of these people and then still have a life that actually pleases you i was so afraid of confrontation so afraid of rejection and so afraid of hurting someone else's feelings so afraid of falling from grace not being the hero so afraid of so many things that i was driven i mean afraid of failure. <laughs> so I had this career, you know, that before I became a psychotherapist, um, I was a talent agent for years. I was running a talent agency, like the New York office of a talent agency, bi-coastal agency when I was in my early thirties. And by that point, I just realized I'd been on my own boundary journey, right? I had realized in therapy. So I'd been working on this of like, wow, not knowing how to do these things is making my life hard is harming the relationships in my life. So then I became a therapist. And of course I was way better at boundaries at that point, but I still saw in every person who walked in the door and put their butt on my couch, every presenting problem, whether it was, I'm not being paid the right amount and I can't ask for it, or I'm having conflicts in my relationship or I'm fighting with my best friend or I'm oh I'm exhausted, right? I'm overworked. I'm oh, I'm overcommitted with such a with such a, a regular thing that I heard all the time. Like I'm so 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 busy, but I'm exhausted. So all of those things, I could bring it back to this one skill set that literally nobody had. And as women, right? So now I know I'm onto something. So now I'm in the trenches with my clients, taking copious notes and being like what do we need? They don't teach us this in, in primary school, right? They don't teach us this in high school, not in even in advanced college, no, an advanced degree, no. Even becoming a therapist, nobody taught me this. And when the way, we don't learn this at home. So part of the problem with this is that what we learn at home, it's not only not how to be a boundary boss, we learn how to be a boundary disaster. So we are raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents as women. 
and I was wondering if it's generational, but I'm, I'm sensing from you that uh, it still lingers in a big, big, big way. But I want to go back to talking about, because you touched on um, when you were an agent. So you're very familiar with the entertainment and media industrial <laughs> complex, which I want to address only because it, my primary audience, since the world I inhabit, and now you use media as well to share your important and impactful messages. So I want to touch on the boundary issues that show up in this business, probably in a lot of places, but the lines are blurred a lot in this industry because not only am I a recovering pleaser, but I was a legendary enabling codependent assistant when I was younger. (laughs) I mean, hall of famer. (laughs) Seriously, I feel you. This is though, the, the industry is, uh, as I like to say, no offense, because I'm still in the industry, but not a hotbed of mental health. And the rules of engagement, they've been changing since the Me Too and since the, you know, taking down of the Harvey and the, all the things. But there's a reality that the rules of engagement of being in the entertainment business, being casting director, being an agent, being an assistant, they're, it's, it's not like working at a bank. It is not the same because A, we worked so much as talent agents. You, you're, you are doing so much because you're doing so much after work. There is so much socializing that is a part of the process. And the end of my career, I was actually negotiating contracts for supermodels and celebrities, even people on Broadway, right? Because so many of my clients, once I became a psychotherapist, I mean, were Broadway performers, like so many, I can't even tell you. Like there were certain shows I had to be like, I can literally take no more people from Mamma Mia because they've all had showmances. I can't have them all in the waiting room at the same time. Like I literally be like, oh wait, I can't do Ben. Ben <laughs> and Betty can't be in the waiting room at the same time because they just had a terrible breakup. Like it was too much. But then one person would leave and go to another show. And then suddenly uh, Mary Poppins, I had five people. Like it would just happen that I think that it was such a niche experience of having someone who is a psychotherapist, but then actually understands what the life of an actor is like, is a bit of a rarity. I mean, at least it was then, maybe maybe not now. So it was kind of an interesting transition into from being running a talent agency, doing my thing, into suddenly everyone was like, oh my God, I'm sending you clients. Oh my God. And they were all actors, models sound people, casting directors, you know, it was, it was the industry because it's a different world. Yes. Well, thank you for validating that. So that it is to understand that it is a different world and no one can explain it to you until you're in it. But I want to actually get into a little bit tactical then. So how do you set those boundaries? Have the confidence to set those boundaries? How do you tell the difference between a boundary and maybe an unrealistic caveat? That makes yeah. sense. You know what I'm getting at is the the fine line between setting a boundary and keeping your job. Here's the thing. Let's start with know the industry. So if you get into entertainment and you're going to be an assistant at a big agency, you're going to work a ridiculous amount. Just like if you are going to become a doctor and you're going to be a resident, you're not going to say, I'm not, I'm not working on late shift. They're going to be like, bye. You have to see ya. Like, so, so again, your boundaries have to, you, you can make a decision to leave entertainment, not become a, a doctor. Like these are your choices, but you, these are established systems. Now you don't have to go along with 
all of the bullshit that can be. So appropriate boundaries, when people would say, um, Ugh, you know, this, this casting director, let's say, usually men, no offense, but true, um, you know, asked me, you know, to, to come to this thing or to do this thing. And I don't want to do it, but I'm afraid they're going to blacklist me if I don't do it. And you're like, listen, if you're talking about like this person actually thinks you're going on a date with them or they, they want you to do something that is not within what you want to do physically, sexually, anything, you have to say no. You, you have to say, they're, if they don't hire you because of that, they suck. And there are people who suck less in this industry now because there's been a light that has been shown on these practices. And there are things that are starting to be in place. So part of it is work on yourself. A, know the industry that you're in, meaning sometimes if you're an assistant, you will not have the power to say, I don't want to work past 5 p.m. You definitely don't have the power to say that because there are people who will do that. And many people who've come up this way, we all did it, put in all of these crazy, ridiculous hours doing stuff that whatever, we're probably you know, picking up someone's dry cleaning or whatever the thing was. If you've worked at a big agency, you did that. I mean, this was part of the process. Now, don't get into that industry, right? If you don't want to work that way, the same way, don't don't become a doctor if you don't want to work like a beast during your residency, because this, whether the industry is right or wrong, that is the industry. And I'm not saying you can't be uh, Norma Ray and change it. You can't go in and say, I want people to unionize or whatever, but you have to be, go in with your eyes wide open. As an actor, mm-hmm. I, used to t- I taught at NYU for a long time while I was doing my thing. And I would always say, Work on yourself and your craft, right? Work on yourself and your craft. Work on your mental health. Make sure that your motivation for doing this is sound, right? That that you you love it, that you couldn't do anything else and be happy. If you could do something else and be happy, do that thing because this thing is really friggin' hard and it's the odds are not stacked in your favor. And that's not to be a bummer. That's the truth. As, as a humanist and as a... a relationship and a human expert, I know that for many people, there's not just one thing that makes you happy. If you are someone I've had, you know, former clients who Broadway people who they're the way they're wired, they want more security, even though they had a Broadway career, then Broadway can give them. Many of them are like, this life isn't for me. Even though I love it, I will still sing. I will do something else. I'll find another way to perform. And I know former clients of mine who went back to school, wanted to become a nurse, wanted to become a lawyer, because you have to be able to tolerate a certain amount of uncertainty and figure out how you're going to make money in a way when you're not making money as an actor, because that is the nature of this business. So I want to talk now about Boundary Palooza for a second. So, because it was such a fabulous, it didn't have- tease is the right word, but we'll say for boundary boss. So I of course signed up in September, 2020, because, you know, when I see your name in my inbox, I'm like, yes, <laughs> and open immediately. And so one of the things I love that I say, we could do this almost like a game is myths versus mm. truths, right? So myth number one, setting boundaries makes me mean or a bitch. And this is important to me because so many of my clients and audience are women. 
And I have felt this the same way. So that's a myth. What's the truth, Terry? Setting boundaries is super generous. And let, let's establish though, Barb, what setting boundaries is. Like, what is it to have good boundaries so that we're all kind of on the same, you know, working definition? Is that knowing your preferences, desires, your limits, and your deal breakers, and having the ability to communicate them clearly. That is what being a boundary boss is. When I talk about boundaries, it's not just about saying no. It's not just about setting a limit. It's also being able to prioritize your own preference, know your own preference, share your preference your desires with the people in your life. Because as women, we've had this, many of us have, you know, the badge of honor is, oh, I'm easy. You know me, easy breezy, no mess, no fuss. It's it's all good with me. It's all good. Why is our preference a burden to anybody? Your preference, your desires, your limits and your deal breakers, those are the specific things that actually make you uniquely you. So Right. And one of the things you touched on in, in the boundary boss that I love too is understanding, and it's in your thing, it can be consistently done with kindness. So a lot about this is tone. And then as we practice, we learn to manage our emotions, right? So we learn to respond instead of react. And that is the jumbo step forward so that with practice, it becomes easy and and it's, it goes back to your example you're talking about with your husband, Vic. It so much has to do with your tone, yep. right? It does. Do you mind if I go on a book tour versus, <laughs> hi, I'm going on a book tour and I'd love to talk exactly. to you about this. Here's the thing, though, with the myth of it meaning you have to be mean or a bitch, is that this is also the way that we've been kept in line, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, don't make waves because then you're hysterical. You must have your period. You're You're a piece of work, you know? all the things that are said in the past about women who assert themselves. So what I always speak to is this fear, this myth, this first myth that we're hitting, because the reality is that A, it's loving. It is actually loving, to be honest, in your relationships. And you can always do it. And I give it one whole chapter in the book is scripts, uh, where how can you do it with ease and grace? Well, first of all, don't wait for decades to do it because then you'll be a volcano no matter what script I give you, right? We, we have to get to the point where we start doing this early and often, and I teach you exactly how in the book. But you can say, if I'm saying no to someone, they invite me to something, I say, you know what, Betty, I love that you are thinking of me. Thank you so much. And actually, it's either not my thing right? I hate outside concerts. I don't want to go to a concert that she's invited me to, but I, but I love you. And let's do dinner soon. I would love to do a lunch. Like there's a way to say no to anything that you don't want to do. And what happens is when we, when we put this desire of being perceived as nice, we want to be perceived as nice, you know, niceness, this virtue, like above all others, what ends up happening is that we say yes, when we really want to say no. And like, Is that actually being nice? Hi. No, it's actually lying and giving the people in your life corrupted intel about you. It's bad data, right? They don't even friggin' know you. They're like, oh, she loves this. You're like, no, I just said I loved it the one time and now you keep bringing me back to this place and I hate the food. And, but like our lives become not our own. It's also much more complicated and messy. 
But also, you know, in the business sphere, so I do work on the communication side with a number of women in the C-suite and they're double-edged swords because I am shocked and disheartened. In this day and age, how many women are still referred to as shrill for speaking their Mm -hmm. truth, you know, in a leadership position? So it goes back to, you know, the concern about likability is inward facing and it undermines our leadership, Mm -hmm. but I can understand where it comes from. Not only you want to be a leader, but it also speaking your truth makes your life a lot less complicated yeah. than hiding behind the likability and um, becoming, I love your, a boundary exactly. disaster, which goes back to two, boundary, myth number two, boundaries will alienate the people I love. And so I'm going to include my colleagues mm-hmm. in that. Okay. Well, no, they, 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 it, it actually <laughs> doesn't because I want you to visualize Imagine if you were so masterful that you were actually doing this with ease and grace, right? Imagine that it was easy because you learned. It's like a language. Right now, it's hard to imagine that you'll be fluent in any other language if nobody taught you. This is what boundaries is. This is learning a language that no one ever taught you. So you shouldn't know it because how could you? We've only learned sort of the wrong things. So what ends up happening And if you've ever had a difficult conversation with someone, brought up something like, oh, this is a little hard for me to say, or I wanted to, there's easy ways of saying it though, in the scripts that I give you, like, um, I wanted to bring this to your attention. Um, I wanted to put this on your radar, right? I give you all these stem, like sentence stems. It's like to start, how do you, you know, I'd like to make a simple request. There's all of these easy ways. And if your energy is not like aggressive and, you know, you're not homicidal, you know, wait until too long until you're so mad. You want to like strangle someone people, you will be shocked at what people will, how they'll respond and how much respect, actual respect people will give you for being telling the truth. And if someone tries to shut you down and of course they will. And we start, when we start changing boundary dances, right? These established dances, of course, someone's going to notice. So if it's a love relationship, sometimes they feel threatened. They don't want you to change because what if you change and now you don't love them anymore, let's say. So change makes people, you know, um, Dr. Harriet Lerner, I love her a lot. Um, She's one of my, just my, my like psychological heroes. So she wrote, you know, the dance of anger, the dance of deception. Um, Why won't you apologize is her most recent book. But, you know, she talks about relationships all have dances, right? And when you change your moves, someone is going to do a change back move. They're going to like kick you in the shin and be like, hey, what do you mean? This is not how we do it. I do this, then you do that. Why aren't you doing that? But if you can stay and you can, doing these small changes, when the person sees that this new dance doesn't make you leave them, that you can stay lovingly attached to them and change the boundary dance because you can, they will stop resisting and start dancing the new dance with you, or they won't. And then you have to decide what that means. But most of the changes that the way that I teach all of this is very incremental. It's small changes. And we start with low priority people. We don't start with the hardest, most important relationship in our lives. We start with if we're out to lunch when we can be again and the lunch comes and it's not right, 
we start by just nicely sending it back. If we wouldn't, like if you normally would be like, it's fine, I'll eat it. I don't want to get her in trouble. I don't want to get them in trouble. Of course, like how many people listening are like, oh God, me, every time. So, so that's the perfect place though, to really look at how, how the disease to please or this desire to be perceived as nice has you abandon what you actually want to eat in the surface of what? Because here's the thing, when you do it nicely, when you go, oh, hey, actually, can you get this on the side? Because I really don't want it on it. I'm sorry. You can say you're sorry. It's okay. I do. Oh, but I send it back. Because you know what? I want it the way that I ordered it. And I'm not mad at the server. I'm not going to not tip her 20%. I'm not doing anything that's punitive. And most of the time, they want to get it right. They're like, oh my God, you totally did say on the side, I'm so doing that. And if they say, I'm so sorry, I'm like, no need to be so sorry. Just please change it. Like, I also don't want someone like losing their mind. Like someone, if you call someone out on something and then they over apologize and act like they want to jump off a bridge because of what the horrible, terrible thing that they just did, that's actually uh, can be a passive aggressive way of trying to make you feel bad for drawing the boundary. I'm, I don't, I'm not into that. When someone like loses it, I'm like, hey, the over thing that's happening right now, so super not necessary. Not a big deal. Please change it. You know what I mean? Mm. So anyway, the second myth, yes. around the barn to the second myth, it is not alienating. It actually creates closer relationships because people know you. And yes, in the beginning, will some people like it better when you just let them steal your work and say nothing in the meeting? Sure. Will they get over that when you stop? They will have to, now won't they? You know, to that point, something that you said earlier around in the workplace is in setting those boundaries is something you taught me a long, long time ago too. Identify a problem and offer a solution. So it, the boundary isn't simply saying no. On a practical level, that can come up from everything. It's like, I'm not comfortable saying that line to, I'd prefer not to wear that thing. Mm -hmm. I'd prefer not to have that person's hand on my person while that thing is taking place. I'd rather not sit here. I, you just be like, so you know what? I prefer not to do this, but how about this? And so just, you taught me that a long time ago, the productive, proactive boundary setting solution dance, if Especially you if you're in a collaborative space, right? Because we are not yes. interested in simply shutting something down. And it's also when you become a boundary boss, you learn to negotiate for your needs. And that's what negotiating is, right? Right there, what you just said, Barb, is negotiating. So this is what it says in the script. I'm not comfortable doing that thing, but I would be comfortable doing this thing. Can we have it be this thing? They may say, Maybe, how about that thing and then this little thing? Okay, I can live with that. That is exactly, you know, it's interesting. That's what I did for a living, right? I was negotiating contracts. So my job is in direct opposition to the person. They're trying to give less money. I'm trying to get more money, right? They're trying to get more work for less money. I'm trying to get more money for less work <laughs> in every scenario. So there's all of these ways of, acknowledging the person that you're negotiating with. Like I knew these people are not my enemies. I would always say, listen, Bob, I know you're only doing your job and I know, you know, I'm only doing my job. I have no doubt we will come to the right agreement. Like I have no, I have no doubt that we will work this out. I was positive because we both, that was our jobs to work it out, but also taking out the like, 
you against me, more like Mm. it's you and me against the issue of working out this deal. So, and even in a relationship, and that's one of the scripts that I share in the book that babe, it's not you, you and me against each other. Let's reframe this. It's you and me against this problem. Like we're a team. Mm. You know, that takes me to the final myth I wanted to look at that boundaries make me selfish. And to your point, and you taught me so boundaries make me generous. They do. Right. And I, I love the me and the we in whatever situation that is. Right. Because it can't all be about one person. And here's the thing. It's easier in the short run to say yes, when you want to say no, to agree to do something that you have no intention of doing and then canceling later in the short run. But it is not. That does not deepen your relationships. That makes people not trust you. Because listen, if people can't trust your no, they don't trust your yes either. If they can't trust your yes, Mm. they can't trust your no. Because if you're always being like, I don't want them to think though. I don't want them to feel. You know what? How they feel is not your side of the street. You really got to get dialed into and prioritize how you feel and what you want. That doesn't mean you can't care about how they feel, but it is not your job to be minding that and basing what is the right boundary or the right boundary request for you on the other person's response. One of the most profound uh, boundary lessons in my life that I learned from one of my therapists was I thought I shouldn't ask the question. I shouldn't ask the person for the thing that I want if I don't think they're going to do it. So I I was in a scenario with my father. I was in grad school and I said to my therapist, I'm not inviting my father to my NYU graduation. And she was like, okay, um, can I ask you a question? Why? And I said, because he won't come. He hates New York City. He He just, I just know it. He's been retired. He's been in Florida for 10 years. Like I just there's no way. And she was like, okay, but that might not be the, the, let's look at it from a different place. My question to you is, do you want to ask him? And I was like, I mean, I do. <laughs> I do. I'm really proud. He's my only father. I really want him to be proud of me too. Like it is a monumental accomplish- accomplishment doing this in my thirties, working while I did it, like putting myself through it. She's like, okay, but then that's the reason to ask him. And I was like, but I thought the reason to ask him was so he would come. And she's like, no, listen, Tara, your healing is in the asking with your dad. What you're doing is you're telling him something about yourself. You're sharing what's important to you and that it matters to you. And yes, maybe it makes you a little vulnerable. Will you be okay if he says no? And I was like, of course, I understand. It's a lot. I understand. She's like, okay. So when you go visit him next week, your assignment is you have to ask him to come to the graduation. I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Did I just set myself up for this? So I go down the whole time I'm there. I don't ask. I'm packing and I'm like, I cannot go back to New York and tell Ruth I didn't do this. There's no way I can't. So we're in the car going to the airport. I was like, I have to ask him literally right now. I have to do it. So I was like, hey dad. He was like, yeah. I was like, uh, I got an extra ticket to my NYU graduation at the end of May. Awkward silence. He was like, oh. And then he goes, I really can't do it, Tara. I really can't. I was like, it's okay, dad. It's okay. And then he says, here comes the guilt. I said, no, dad, no, no guilt. I said, listen, I can fully understand. But here's the thing. Nobody can replace you, dad. 
mom will be there. My sisters will be there. My friends will be there. But you are my only father. And so you matter to me. And I'm also a grown up. And I understand this a lot. And I can accept that. But I wanted you to know our connection is important to me. And because I'd had a, a pretty problematic relationship, it was very unavailable. Blah, blah. He was like, okay. So he was never a man of many words. But when he was hugging me goodbye at the airport, it was like this longer than usual hug. And then in, for the next six months, I just started getting these like random cards. It would just be like, love dad. That's all it would say. It would be like a card that was like happy spring, like things that would never have happened prior to that. And my father actually died very suddenly. And that was the last time that I ever saw him. And I was so grateful that I had taken that challenge and it changed our relationship. We started talking every Sunday, like there was a shift because I felt seen. I allowed myself to be seen, even though he couldn't come to the thing. But and the day of the graduation, I was so friggin' happy he wasn't there. My mom was there, they're divorced. I was like, oh, who wants to deal with that? Like it all worked out the way that it needed to. But the lesson in that is that this is about negotiating and sharing our most authentic selves with the people that we love, not based on what they'll do, not to manipulate them, to let them know who we are. Because you, every single one of you listening, are so worth authentically knowing. You deserve to be seen, heard, and loved for who you actually are. And when we are a boundary disaster or we don't know how to do these things, we go through life. And I've had many of these clients, Barb, who come to me in their 60s, you know, 50s, and they're like, my life is amazing, but I'm empty. Why? Kids are on track. Money's not a problem. My spouse is all right. Like, I like them. I, I work out a couple of times a week. I have girlfriends. Like, what's the deal? Is this the way I'm supposed to feel? And when we really peel back the layers of the onion, I'm like, does anyone know you? You've checked all the boxes, but who are you inside? What lights you up? What's okay with you? What's not okay with you? What are your preferences? What are your desires? What are your limits? And suddenly there's this awakening of like, wow, I've been checking boxes for decades and I'm not satisfied because I am not talking true in my life. I'm not allowing the people who I love to actually intimately know me because I'm afraid to be vulnerable. And I thought if I just had the outside perfect, right, that I wouldn't have to do this stuff. And then we do the work and then their life changes. So this is what this book is about, is that work, because you don't want to end up in the sixth or seventh decade of your life saying, is this all there is? Because it isn't. There's so much more. Mm. Terry, I feel like I, I could just keep you here and talk to you for years and years and years. What else is on the horizon or what other fun boundary palooza things can we do? There is actually, you know, I'm part of your walk through the book early group too, and your Facebook group. So where else can we dive in and join the 
Terry Cole Boundary Boss Army. You sure can. So you can go to boundarybossbook.com. And if you haven't purchased the book, you can you can buy it there and then put in your little receipt, just the numbers of whatever it was on Amazon or wherever you bought it. And that will give you access to, I've, God, I've created so many beautiful bonuses. So it's training. You get like a bunch of hours of training. And you can also go to uh, boundaryquiz.com if you want to get like your baseline boundary functioning. So that's another place you can go. I've got just so much, so many goodies for all of you. So go to boundarybossbook.com. And if, and if you've already, even if you purchased the book a while ago, you can go in and put in your number and get access to boundary meditations, just all of the things that I think that will support you on this journey. And I do want to say this, Barb, no matter where you are, those of you who are listening to this, whether you consider yourself a total boundary disaster, whether you think you might be like kind of a boundary master, you're close. Wherever you are, you're in exactly the right place at the right time of your life. It is never too late to learn these skills that nobody taught you. And as you know, um, Marianne Williamson says, right? It's not too late. You're not too old. You're right on time and better than you know. So no matter what you've experienced this moment, you're meant to hear this podcast. This is your moment to power pivot. Do it because you deserve to be, right? What what is the subtitle? To talk true, be seen, and live free. Power pivoting. That's my next phrase. I love that. Terry, you are a gift. I just, for years and years and years, thank you so much. And I'm really thrilled and grateful for Boundary Boss. Thank you for everything. I can't wait for whatever's next too, but just celebrating this while I have you. And thanks for listening. Be sure to hit subscribe so you know when episodes become available. And never hesitate to scoot on over to ableintermedia.com and say hello. See you next time. Mm